Greetings, friends, and welcome to another playdate in Sheffy's Sandbox. Our guest today is writer E.A. Williams. Unfortunately, I lost the audio to the introductory segment where she ordered her mocha at the virtual coffee house before we hit the virtual beach, but the rest was captured and it's here for your listening pleasure. In this Memorial Day episode, we want to give a special shout out to the 2nd Battalion, 5th Cavalry, in memory of our brother, Specialist Adam Webb Scheffler, a.k.a. Sheffy. I know you have not yet heard from our co-host, Stephen. He is on a nursing assignment in New York City with the COVID-19 effort. But as soon as he's able, he'll be joining the show. There is a fantastic article written about him that I'm including in the show notes for this podcast that I hope you'll check out. In the meantime, I'm doing my best hosting the show solo, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with E.A. Williams as much as I did. So we only allow unfamous people on this podcast, so we need to determine whether you meet that bar or not. What could be your five-second claim to fame? Oh, my five-second claim to fame. Hmm. Uh, I really don't think I have any claims to fame. (laughs) I would say, (laughs) if I had to say, I would think it'd be that you are a published author, like, and you've had a a book signing before. I I I think. So I I I, guess that would be my claim to fame. Okay. All right. So even though you're a rising star, I think, I think you're qualified to be on on our show. Yay. (laughs) All right, so we'll do this next segment. Um, it's one of my favorite linguistic tag. So guests were asked to choose a word or phrase that they would like to hear used more often in everyday conversation. Something that doesn't get enough play, enough airtime. Uh, the prior guest chose mythological. So you are tasked to try to somehow fit that into our conversa- conversation today. Okay. Got it? I got it. Okay, so now you also get to choose a word for the next guest to dance with. Could be a peculiar word that you find funny or something that resonates with you. What are you laying down for them to pick up? I think that I am going to lay down the word cottywomple. Okay. <laughs> that I wasn't word expect- cracks me up. <laughs> that word cracks me up. I love it. <laughs> Can you give us a, a definition? It means to travel purposefully toward an as yet unknown destination. Okay. I think I do that more often than uh, I think we all than do. I use the word for. <laughs> I think we we honestly all do. I mean, every time you know we feel like getting in the car and just going, to, you know, for a drive, no destination, just getting out on the road, we're caught wampling around, you know. <laughs> so it sounds like you do use that in your own day to day conversation. You feel pretty. It, it sounds like you're comfortable with that word. <laughs> I I am. I I stumbled across that word actually while I was writing a book and it kind of fit the context 
And I, I just fell in love with that word. I mean, it, it's a funny word, cracks me up, and people do it every day. So it's like one of my Do people words. look at you funny when, when you use it? Sometimes, yes. <laughs> so where do you remember where you heard that used? I honestly that word first don't. Used? I think that what I was doing, I was looking for like 1800s grammar. And, you know, like certain words that are kind of outdated. And it was honestly just a Google search. And just I'm going to I'm going to see like how that word came about, because to me, honestly, when I hear it, I am thinking of a cat that's just kind of slinking around with no. Yes, particular. Well, yeah, um, <laughs> I think that the word for that actually is cattywampus. Okay. Well, I thought cattywampus was more like where something was off kilter, like where it was yes, not that's, steady. That's, that's true. That's very, very true. And I I actually uh, knew a cat. Well, I have a friend that had a cat that she named cattywampus and she was very off center and <laughs> oh she would cattywampus around. So I think that that's why I kind of connected the two. It reminded me of that. Well, I like it. So just, um, I'll, I'll tell the next guest that they have to use cattywampus. No. Yes. Cotty. No. What is the word again? It's cottywample. Cottywample. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to make sure I write it down. That way I get it correct when I'm telling them what it is. But anyway. Okay. So you're tasked with mythological. This yes. podcast. Okay. All right, now let's go to social presence. How can people find out more about you and follow what you're making in your own sandbox? Well, I am on basically all social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook um, under Wright E.A. Williams for... Instagram is writer underscore e dot a dot Williams and Twitter is write EA Williams. And speaking of Twitter, it sounds like you have birds. Are you in your backyard? I'm actually sitting out front. You know, we're having coffee at the beach, so I decided to come outside, (laughs) hang out, get some fresh air. It's it's nice out right now, and yeah, birds are everywhere. I like it. Um, And then Facebook is also writer e dot a dot Williams. And you are published. You have, uh, I know you have a short story, uh, at least that's in an anthology. Yes. I read, uh, I read, and that stuck with me. That was, can you tell us where people can find that, that short story? You know what, the, what I'm talking about? The, um, the woman that collected the pictures. Oh, Soul Reaper. Yes. That is on Sirens Call Publication Ezine. So it's an online magazine and it's issue 47. Check it out, folks. That was, I, I, I like it. I think that that had something unique to offer. And I, I find myself thinking about it pretty frequently. Well, thank you. <laughs> so what else do you have? I, I've had the pleasure of reading part of your book, The Lane, that has not been published yet, as far as I know. That, that's And 
Yeah, I've gotten to the part where I don't think it's giving too much away when there's a mysterious, um, there's some jewelry found in the yard. Yes. And there's some type of mystery linked to that. Yes. And so uh, that's that's where I left off. So I'm I, I'm still waiting for you to send me the other chapters. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I will definitely get those sent over to you. Um, and yes, right now it's not published. I'm still actively searching for an agent. So that's kind of where I am with the lane at the moment. Now, what has been published is, uh, can you tell us about the uh, dragons? Yes. Um, Dragons Within Claiming Her Wings is an anthology made up of 12 authors. So uh, Spirit of the Dragon is my short story that's included in that anthology. And that can be found on Amazon or on the Balance of Subthin website, which is the publisher. Now, I wanted to ask you something about the female characters in what you write. They all seem very strong, very strong women. And I know I asked you, uh, at least when I was reading The Lane, um, did this, does this character feel any type of self-consciousness about this or that? And you're like, nope. <laughs> and I was like, okay, great. Well, she's nothing like me then. <laughs> well, I think that, you know, that all women in their own right, we're all strong. And we have our own independence in a multitude of things. And we're all unique. We're all different. And one person can be self-conscious about one thing. And then someone else can be completely self-conscious about something else. Uh, me personally kind of resonate with the, the female character of the lane with her eating habits, which as you read, you will discover <laughs> her eating habits. I have no shame when it comes to my food. I will eat the greasiest, juiciest burger in front of anybody and not even care. (laughs) Um, I mean, so her character, she just has that, you know, I don't care, you know, take me for who I am, what I am. If you don't like it, look the other way, you know, and which I think is kind of an attitude that more women need to adopt and not, not, you know, a, a rude tone, but just, being comfortable in their own skin, being comfortable with their own habits and not feeling ashamed for who and what they are. And I think that that's pretty important to display in our everyday life along with our writing, because, you know, we want our readers to feel connected with our characters and giving that impression that, Hey, this character has no filter. She doesn't care. She, you know, she's independent. She's strong. I need to carry that too. I need to be more like that. I was just saying, thinking to myself, I mean, that's, that's some great medicine that I could use, you know, in my own life. Do you, do you feel like that's, uh, do you resonate with that character? Do you feel like you're at a point where you care less what other people think? To a point, to a point, like completely honest, there, there are some characteristics that I, I really don't care what people think about me for certain things. And then other things I'm very self-conscious about. Um, but I think that we all have that. I mean, we're all a little self-conscious. We're all a little, you know, intimidated from time to time. And that's normal. We just have to try to do what we can to break out of that shell 
And by putting ourselves out there a little bit more frequently and doing things that we are comfortable with behind closed doors out in public, you know, kind of helps to boost that confidence that, you know, I don't care, take me who, you know, for what I am. And this is me, all of it, good, bad, and ugly. That's how, that's just how it is. (laughs) Do you feel like part of that you've been like that since you were younger? I think so. I think so. I mean, there, there's a lot of things that, you know, I did then that I do now that it's just, okay, well, this is me. If you don't like it, well, you don't have to, (laughs) there's things about you. I don't like either (laughs) kind of thing, you know? Um, but there, there are still some things that I'm trying to kind of come out of the shell a little bit with, um, and do a little bit more, be a little bit more present, you know, for myself to get that confidence to where it doesn't bother me to go out and, you know, mow the lawn in, you know, shorts and a tank top without feeling insecure or which I know is something silly, but, you know, a lot of women feel that way. And, you know, so just making sure that I do things intentionally that takes me out of my comfort zone. So that way I can begin to become comfortable which I think is a big step that everybody needs to do. Correct. I was, um, I did soul collage um, for the first time yesterday. And if you were like me, you've never heard of soul collage, uh, you know, check out the website, but it's a process of um, putting together different images that speak to you. And so yesterday it was a pretty powerful experience when I was talking to the group about the images I had put together and what it was telling me is that as a kid, um, I needed to be invisible. Mm. And I, I kind I heard you, like you were saying, you know, just being out in the front yard with a tank top and shorts, you know, uh, I, I hear you and I feel that because, you know, I don't know, growing up, you, you were supposed to not have any intention, yes. you know, bring any attention towards yourself yes. um, for several reasons. Yes. Uh, so. <laughs> I, I know. That- and then I didn't have to be short shorts, but yes, just the fact that you, you know, you have a female body, yes. <laughs> you somehow owe it to the world to be invisible and not be seen. Or else you're, you're asking for um, exactly, exactly. And that's not right. I mean, we shouldn't have to, you know, control what we wear and how we present ourselves in fear of what might happen and how we would be blamed for it. That that's a very antique way of thinking. And it's not, you know, these are modern times and, you know, it's just not right that we have to bend or think or feel that we have to bend and change our habits and our comfort to appease other people. And so I I think that just breaking, you know, some of those bricks off the wall and crawl out of that mentality and that fear and just letting loose and gaining your own self comfort is a necessity for everybody. I mean, not just, you know, specifically women, but there's even men too that, you know, they can't, 
think or feel or say certain things without the finger being pointed at them that they are doing X, Y, and Z when that's not the case. So I think that, you know, everybody just needs to kind of do something that they are uncomfortable with in public in order to gain that comfort. Okay. Okay. Well, let's tell our listeners how we, we first met. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, would you like to say it or would you like me to? Um, you could fall rolling. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, from what I remember, uh, we attended the same church and there was a church school, yes. a tiny church school, <laughs> like room school. two room. <laughs> yes. A two room school, a, a parochial parochial church school there and uh you were a student and I think you were maybe sixth seventh grade and I was um like homeschooling myself yes slash a teacher's aide yes and so I would help out the teachers grading papers you know being line attendant or whatever and then whenever the students were busy I would be doing my own you know homeschool work and so that's how I met you. You were one of the students there. Yep. And so we got to play soccer and pick up uh, base, you know, baseball, whatever yes. the little church group. <laughs> yes. And I, so I associate you with a few memories. One of those was uh, Titanic. <laughs> like I have you equals the movie Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because what, didn't that come out? Like that, that year I, that I was there? I think so. Yes. Um, Cause yeah, I started that school in seventh grade. I left the public school system and started there. And uh, yeah, I was completely hooked on Titanic. I think I went to the theater and saw that movie like 20 times. <laughs> I think I remember you talking about that. And that's why I like associated you with like romanticism <laughs> slash Titanic. Yes. I was obsessed with Leonardo DiCaprio. So <laughs> as that carried on, you still a big fan? No, <laughs> I, I like, no, I, still love, I, I like the movie, but I haven't watched it in years. Um, nor have I listened to the soundtrack either. Um, it's been a long time actually, but I, I was definitely obsessed there for a while. So have you watched any of his, uh, his newer movies? I haven't. No, I, I need okay. to. Um, I really do. There's a few that I want to see that I just haven't gotten around to yet. Another I, another memory I associate with, with you is, uh, you know, you had your hair cut short and then you had that one long <laughs> braid that was longer than all the rest of it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, I wish I could rewind time and just not even have that. But yes. Yes, I had that for a while. Why? I could not tell you. I have no idea. But I actually saw a picture a while back of that. And I was looking at it thinking, what was I thinking? What was going through my head? At least it's not a tattoo, right? This is true. This is true. That came later in life. But this is true. So I, in, um, at that church, uh, we both uh, went through our studies and we got baptized yes. at the same yes. time. And I don't believe either one of us, uh, you can correct me, but I don't think either one of us are uh, at the same place we were in our faith journey as we were then. Um, but 
I mean, and you would hope not. People always change and grow. And um, but one of the things I feel like I can take away from that experience is I felt that that particular faith um, was more about a little less on personal interpretation of the Bible and more on study. Like we, (laughs) I don't know about you, but my family, like they had us like studying, like in the scriptures, let's like, let's not take this out of context, but like read these 300 other scriptures that all, you know, come together to make this one. Yes. And I, I guess it, it was one of those introductions to, being different because um you know it's it wasn't a mainstream uh christian denomination yeah. and so if you told if i told people uh what church i attended uh they would be like oh my gosh you're in a cult you <laughs> yes, know yes i've heard that you know <laughs> over the years you know um whenever i'm asked how my husband and i met you know because mm-hmm. we we met mm-hmm. at that church as well and they're like, oh my gosh, you guys met in a cult? And no, <laughs> it's like, oh my goodness. Um, but looking back, I mean, no, I, I agree with you um, very much so on you know what you were saying. And um, faith definitely has changed. Um, and it, it, it was definitely a, you know, this is how it is. This is what you have to study. And your opinion, your questions, you need to study more you know, kind of thing is my take, my experience, you know, what I was told, you know, kind of thing. And, um, I I think that I was the biggest rebel out of that church. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. I, I would, you know, wear makeup to school or makeup to church, even if it was like a little lip gloss or something. And, oh, I would be in so much trouble. Um, I, well, again, because it goes to the back to the fact that, you know, I think it sounds like both of us were raised, you need to be invisible. And so, like, I don't know about you, but even nail yes. polish from was discouraged by my dad. Yes. Like, what's next? You know, toenail polish? Exactly. I'm, <laughs> like, thank- what's wrong? Well, with- thankfully, in my house, in my home, I could put on makeup and, you know, play with makeup. I could paint my nails. You know, it was a lot more laxed at home. But at the church, that was a completely different story. I had to be sure that that nail polish was off and there was not a stitch of makeup on my face, no jewelry, nothing, because I would, you know, get into a lot of trouble between some of the elders and the pastor. And whenever I was attending the school, you know, I would get in trouble with the teachers and, you know, I, I, looking back now, I get it, but I mean, I had gone to a public school for so long and I was used to being able to somewhat be an individual and have my own fashion choices and my style taste. And whenever you're kind of a goth girl and going into a church school, that's not the easiest transformation to make. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, cause mm-hmm. black is still my signature color and it definitely was back then. And so that, I, I, I got a lot of judgment, you know, based off of that. And I don't feel my personal opinion that, you know, whenever you walk into a church, you should not feel like you're going to burst into flames, you know, because of what you're wearing. You know, I just, that to me doesn't feel like church. And I mean, it, it's been a very long time, you know, since I've been there. And, you know, I, I 
met some amazing people. You're one of them. I met my husband. You know, I still have a few friends from the church. Um, you know, a few even still attend the church. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that specific faith wasn't for me. And I'm still kind of on a road to discovering what is right for me. And that's okay. I mean, like you said, different stages of life, you know, what we need to fulfill ourselves and, you know, just kind of figure that out along the way. Mm -hmm. So speaking of uh, different journeys, you and I have, uh, we both, I didn't, we, you know, we had no idea when we were younger, like what we would, that we would both enjoy writing and find fulfillment in that. Um, but we are taking different um, approaches yes. to this. Whereas I have kind of, that's not necessarily given up, but given <laughs> up on, you know, the whole traditional publishing route. Um, you know, I've done all of this self, I've done this self-publishing uh, and that has been so rife with complications and things I had no idea that even were things until I got into this process. And you have gone the more traditional route and um, so the different ways of approaching the same thing, which is wanting to share uh, our art and our craft with yes. others. So what, what can you tell us about how that's working for you? It's still slow. <laughs> it's still new, um, but it's very exciting. And I mean, I think that is a creative and that's any form of creativity, any form of art, whether it's painting or sculptures or writing, we have a story to tell within that art. And we want to share that with the world. Otherwise, why do it? You know, I mean, some people are closet writers and they write just for them. And that's great. But one day, you know, they, they might decide to publish that. And there are so many differences between traditional and indie publishing, self-publishing. And I'm still trying to figure it all out myself. I really am. Um, like I said, I'm still in that um, area of, looking for an agent, um, because that will definitely make life so much easier having a literary agent that can get your work in with editors and with publishers and kind of be that quote unquote middleman to explain things to you and to get, you know, all, you know, contracts, this, that, and the other taken care of. Um, I know the majority of the authors that I know are self-published authors and it is definitely a huge process from what I've been told. It, it's complicated between book covers and sales and, you know, and just there's so much to do with it. And I definitely commend anyone who is a self-published author because that takes a lot of work, a lot of expense, and you're doing it solely because you want to share your work. You're proud of Oh my gosh, Elizabeth. Yes. Like before this whole thing, if I had heard someone was self-published, I'm being completely honest, I've been, wow, they're a little self-involved. Like this is just a vanity project. Right. You know, it wasn't good enough, you know, for someone legitimate, you know, to publish them. They had to go and do it right. themselves. 
um my this whole process has changed that completely i honestly even if your one's book is fluff and i don't know i commend them for the process that it took them to get it to that point where it's self-published it's like wow good for you kudos like I exactly (laughs) it's like you have to have a very special mindset and heart of dedication for that and who knows what the future holds I might end up self-publishing something one day I don't know it just kind of depends on how things go but I would have to look at so you you've had to like write query letters and you know other things that I haven't you know, yes. to, you know, even look at. So what does that look well, like? Whenever, and I'm still figuring this out too. I think I actually am going to kind of revamp my Corey letter a little um, to see if maybe I have better luck. Um, but you generally, of course, do your research, find your agents, um, make sure that your story is going to be a good fit for said agent. Otherwise, you're wasting not just your time, but you're wasting their time too. Um, so definitely make sure that you are finding agents within your genre, subgenre. Look at the books that they are interested in. There's normally always a small biography and what the agent looks for. So definitely pay attention to that. And they basically guide you for submissions. They let you know, give me your quarry or we want, you know, the first chapter, the first three chapters. Um, you know, they, they kind of tell you what they want. Um, but the Corey letter itself, it's, um, just, you know, you don't want to say to whom it concerns. That's not very professional. You want to make sure that you utilize their name. Um, and then you have like this small little, um, blurb per se about your book. Um, you kind of want to hit certain points on what it's about. Um, you know, uh, the plot, you know, any twists, this, that, or the other, you know, throw something in there that um, raises an eyebrow, like, okay, well, what is that? You know, I'm kind of interested. And then you um, give a small biography about yourself with your, um, if you've published anything, whether it's self-published or traditionally published, um, any awards that you've won uh, for your work and then your media information. Uh, I've learned that a lot of agents look at your media and they want to see what type of following presence you have um, and kind of look at content and things like that to see how dedicated you really are to your craft. And And you have, and one has to be pretty dedicated, right? Because it takes a lot of energy to continue to put stuff out there on at least yes. I know on my from my point of view it takes a lot of willpower just keep on putting stuff out there put keep on putting something out there because I mean if you and you can see the views yeah. you know at the bottom of each post like how many people yes. it reached and it can be kind of discouraging like if it's still you know less than right. 20 <laughs> if I'm being yes. honest it's like you know what am I doing wrong what is it that people aren't you know, are they not finding something that speaks to them that they don't find valuable? Right. But I have gotten to the point where if even if it's for nobody else, I'm doing it yeah. for me. So if it's something I would like to 
know about an event I would like to have uh, shared, then I'm going to post it. And then I'm just going to keep on doing me. You do that's you, boo. Right. That's, that's Yes, that's doing. right. And, you know, people eventually will find you. Sometimes it takes time for people to find you. And hashtags, like, never in my life did I ever think that I would be using the pound sign as a hashtag, you know, that they would be, you know, so <laughs> important. But they really are. That dates us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> pound sign. Pound sign. Book <laughs> You know, I remember when that became a hashtag it's so too. Funny, yeah. But yes, those hashtags are actually pretty essential for your posts. And that's what really draws people to you is the hashtags. So there's several that are really good for people in the writing community and writing community is one of them. Um, so, you know, like writers, writer's life, book nerd, you know, I love using word nerd because hello, we're writers. We are word nerds. So. And what's Cotty your word Wumble. again? See, <laughs> word nerd okay. right here. Um, but well, like, I, do, I have several funny words that I just love and I just, they, they crack me up. And I think whenever you're writing, you know, any kind of historical piece, some of those words are pretty essential, you know, so that way it feels more within that era. And you're bringing back a few words that have kind of lost itself along the way. So it's so much fun. Uh, Well, if I can say I like what you post, I find it's valuable. Um, When I, you know, because like all this social media stuff, you know, it says you need to have like three posts on social media a day, you know, to keep momentum and followers. And, you know, honestly, if it's not something that has something to say, and it's not, I don't find something valuable in that to share, I'm not going to post three times a day, just exactly posting. Exactly. And sometimes, so, and I, and that's what I feel like you do. I, you don't, you don't post fluff just to post, be yeah. posting something. Yeah. I, so that's, things I appreciate about thank you your page yeah I try not to do that I mean and there's days that I don't post anything and sometimes life happens you know I I can't just stop to make a post sometimes I mean we everybody has things Mm -hmm. to do so I mean it it happens sometimes and um but of course coffee that that's my weakness I have to post about coffee from you know time to time so I mean but that's like my writer's (laughs) juice you know it keeps me going um and then of course content you know for writers whether it's something that I've published something that I'm writing or if it's just you know writing tips or quotes or something to kind of lift someone else up that might be in a writer's block or just kind of a and what you did is you and uh no, you I totally interrupted good <laughs> I well one of the things I like that you did for me as a writer is you introduced me to a uh, Facebook group and it was a closed group for writers and so you know I had to answer the questions to be able to you know be allowed into the group but I found it to be a very supportive community that was very active and they had writer's blog you know writing prompts and then one of the um, my my latest book that I was writing I could not figure out a backstory to how these two people met like I had these two characters and I knew where they were in this moment in time 
but I needed a backstory. Like, how did they meet? And all the people in this community, this Facebook group were so supportive and they like just threw out all these suggestions. And the funny thing is I didn't pick any of those, <laughs> but, and they, but the answer came to me later on in the shower. I was like, but just knowing what it was not helped me, you know, point to me what to was. what I felt yes. the answer was. And, and that's yes. helpful. Yes. And, so I, and sometimes you can get inundated with suggestions and not take any of those suggestions, but it kind of turns that part of your brain back on to where you're not the one that's thinking all of these suggestions. You're not the one that is trying to visualize all of these meat cutes and everything. And ev- other people are doing it for you by giving those suggestions. So that kind of gives your brain a moment to refresh itself. And then it does hit you. And it's so funny that you say in the shower, because so many things hit me in the shower all the time. And I think it's I because think so we're too. alone. That's like our, our right? small little <laughs> time to ourselves that, you know, we can actually think We're I mean, so yeah, I, I, I apparently a lot of people, you know, kind of get some good ideas going in the shower and, um, I thought about getting a grease pencil yes. and I, I actually tried that once. So that way I could write things <laughs> in the shower, but my tile's too dark. I did not consider that. Yeah, my tile's too dark that. though. So it didn't work. I was kind of disappointed. So I know when I was a little kid, I had one of those yes. bathtub crayons yes, that were all the rage. they make those, but they do. <laughs> for adults. Hey, we can make it for adults. Okay. It doesn't say just for kids on there. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Well, I guess so. That would be another thing I would recommend um, that I have found most valuable is to find a community and not just something that says community because I'm not, I have several different groups I'm a part of, but one of them is like so huge that it feels very um, yes impersonal like I'm not connected to any of these people these people don't exactly. know my name nothing exactly. so if you can find a community that actually feels like a writing community or whatever your Definitely. interest is where you feel you feel heard like if you put something on that page you're going to get some responses that are specific yes. to that and not any not being ignored or or said you know you're not you know, throwing people throwing judgment. Like, do you really right. belong exactly. in this? Exactly. <laughs> and that, that is so important because being a writer, there are times that it's very isolating and you, mm-hmm. you can try to bounce things off of your spouse or your partner or your friends. And a lot of times they look at you like you're absolutely nuts. And they're like, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea what to tell you. So mm-hmm. having that community, whether it's on Facebook mm-hmm. Um, a friend of mine, he has a critique group that he's a part of um, that is held at his local library. And so there's a lot of places, you know, just check with your libraries, you know, and call and see if there's critique groups there and how you can get a hold of them. Just show up one day and say, hey, this is who I am. Um, just try to find, you know, even um, just little groups that get together at coffee shops or something. I mean, there's always something out there. You just have to really search for it. And it, it can be very beneficial, very beneficial. Okay, I think. Oh, one of the things we have not conveyed to our listeners is what type of writing that you do, because that is also very different um, from what I write. 
So I think um, if people are interested in that genre, um, that you know, tell them what tell them um, what you do. I write a little bit of everything, basically anything that pops in my head. Uh, contemporary gothic literature, cozy mystery, thriller, flash fiction. It just whatever pops in my head. I mean, there is just something mythological to writing itself, I think. Our characters come to us. I don't think that we create them. I think that they come to us and they tell us their stories so writers were a bunch of mediums you know is the way I look at it so I don't think that I could just stick to one specific genre I um yeah I I think what you have uh written some about is romance right you've written a little a little little romance there's some romantic components yeah, so okay. in, in my gothic okay. lit, um, there are some romantic components. Um, a thriller that I am working on, uh, there are some components there. I, I don't know that I would necessarily call them romantic, um, but there are some, you know, little scenes here and there. Um, and, but so romance is not really something that I have actually sat down to write. I don't know that I would. It's not normally a genre that I actually read. Um, I have read it just because I think that, you know, everybody should read a little bit of everything because how else will you know if you like it, you know? Um, but I, I've never written an actual romance novel. I mean, no telling what the future holds, but um, I, I have written some things that have romantic elements. Well, I think that's, um, I think that's maybe what I'm, maybe that's what I'm thinking of is there have been uh, some sensual elements. And I guess that um, that's just part of the human experience is including that. Um, Maybe you're not writing towards that end, but you include that, which is just, uh, I think part of, you know, you uh, and my journey normalizing some of these things that we were taught yes. um, erroneously that uh, yeah. didn't exist <laughs> or should never be talked about. Right. Exactly. Just, you name it. So. Exactly. And I mean, and like you said, it, it's human nature, it's life, you know, the, those types of relationships and, you know, encounters and we all experience those things. And so whenever you're writing and you have, you know, these characters and that's where it turns, I mean, we, we want readers to fall in love with our characters and we want them to have a relationship with these characters. And as we're writing them, we're writing their story and we want them to be as real as possible. One of the uh, relationships that you talk about that's a, you know, a real mirror is in the lane you write about a, yes. a sisterhood. Um, these two women are very close sisters. I cannot speak towards that because I have <laughs> no sister and some of the most of the sisters I know about, um, they've had very rocky, <laughs> very rocky relationships. But I know that is not the case with you and it's your not. sister. So and- I, 
it has been refreshing <laughs> to to like see what's possible. Like it's very beautiful. Thank you. To read and about. Our, mine and my sister's relationship is different. That's for sure. Um, I only found my sister last year, so we didn't grow up with that sibling rivalry, and we didn't grow up with you know any kind of sibling issues and fights and you know favoritism or we didn't grow up together right. so you get the good so part, get that part. <laughs> you right. got to skip so, i mean once we found each other we just kind of hit the ground running and we talk every single day and a lot of the conversations and the banter between the sisters and the lane is very mirrored off of myself and my sister um, that a lot of our banter and, you know, being smart mouths and things like that, that's kind of how we are. So it's organic, it's original. And that's how I would talk to my sister. That's how she talks to me. So that's just kind of how I was able to convey that between the two of them. I thought Thank it was you. very beautiful. So so this last segment is called Teachers. Uh, one of the podcasts uh, I listen to is the Lifestylist podcast. And Luke's story ends his pods by asking his guests this question. And I loved it so much that I'm including okay. it in my podcast. Who have been three teachers or teachings in your life that you might share with our audience that they can go research and also learn from? Oh my from? goodness. Um, there are so many, so many teachers, so many teachings. Um, I would have to say you, I don't know that you could research this one, but, um, I think it was either my freshman or my sophomore year of high school, my English teacher, Mr. McCullough, he was amazing. He was always very supportive of his students, very encouraging to his students. And when I was in his class, it was around the same time that Stephen King's Rose Red was on TV. Do you remember that movie? I know for a lot of my um, growing up years, we did oh, not have God. the TV in the house. And even if there was, uh, Stephen King would yeah, not have been allowed. <laughs> and yeah growing up um, yes. we had a pretty strict um sometimes I was allowed to uh, check out books in the library that may have had some elements as long right? as my mom didn't know about <laughs> but um okay well, but go ahead it was like a tv movie and we were talking about it one day and he asked if I had read the book um the diary of Ellen Rimbauer and I hadn't, but I was really excited about it. And um, so I came to class the next day and he gave me the book. He had the book. And um, I mean, we, we would just talk about writing and of course authors and, you know, shared, you know, horror movies that we both enjoyed. And he, you know, would tell me if you want to be a writer, I know that you could do it but you've got to make sure that you write and you have to write every day. Even if it's a little something, it doesn't have to be a story. It doesn't have to be a book, but just write something every single day and you'll be mm -hmm. a, a success. And I never forgot that. And I actually got to run into him um, during the homecoming parade last year. 
And so I got to talk to him about everything and it was just really cool. Um, so I, I was able to thank him for encouraging that and for telling me to write something every day, no, no matter what, because I did that. I, I've always written a little something every single day. And I think that that has helped get to where I am finally breaking out of scribbling on a notepad to actually writing a novel, which is been a really awesome hard but awesome process um some other teachings I think that you know we can look at you know for me anyways um as writers look at other authors Stephen King he has a whole book on writing and it's a great book I mean it kind of opens up to his life personally and how he got to where he is and I mean, so many things that he says are, you know, like um, one of his quotes is a story should entertain the writer too. And that I do too. Mm, I mean, that's I love so that. true. I mean, if you're typing away and you're crying profusely and, you know, you're in like this agony, mm-hmm. readers, mm-hmm. they're going to feel that too. I mean, if you crack yourself up, you're not nuts. <laughs> that's good because more than likely your readers mm. are going to laugh too. And so I think that that's like really good sound advice. Um, And another one that, you know, he says is, um, oh my goodness, what is it? Um, Trying to think of the words that a writer must um, write a lot and read a lot. Um, So yeah, if if you want to be a writer, you must do two things above all, read a lot and write a lot. So that's so true. I mean, there's, how many thousands of books out there there's millions of books out there and we can learn from that i mean there's different writing styles we can develop what we like and what we don't like and just the eloquence of the written word in so many different forms is pretty amazing so i i I definitely like that advice and i read everything i will read anything and everything so uh, i'm all for it um and just let's see i will just also remind you that you're getting you're running out of time to use your I word my word <laughs> mythological I did. did you really where was i <laughs> i used my word um whenever you were asking me about like what genres and things that i write um, I, I oh god I did <laughs> you did I you totally was, like, did you know um, <laughs> just something mythological to writing <laughs> oh so gosh I, <laughs> wow <laughs> oh my goodness thank you for keeping me in mind <laughs> um, and then another um teaching there's so many teachings with it but um like a Zen lifestyle. And yes, I still get testy and temperamental from time to time. So I'm not going to lie and sit there and say that I am completely namaste. That is not how that works. But I think that there's so much to that lifestyle that is so beneficial for every day, no matter what you're doing. Um, I mean, doing one thing at a time, doing it slowly and deliberately and doing it completely and doing less, which is something that you don't hear very often. You're always 
physically mm. told that you need, no, to do you, more. you need to do more, you need to do more. No, you need to do less. So that way you can be more present for not just your family, but for yourself. Because if you're giving everything of yourself to everyone else, then what's left? You're exhausted. You have no energy and you are depleted of all your own natural resources, you know, so do less. So that way you've got something left over at the end of the day for yourself to give it to yourself. And just. Oh my gosh. I knew there was a reason we were friends. (laughs) I totally needed to hear that. And you know, that, that positive mentality and it's hard. And do I fail sometimes? Absolutely. We all do. But I try really hard to always find the silver lining and everything that there's always, I mean, you can't have a positive or a negative without a positive. There's an, you know, that balance. So there's always that positive thing, you know, that's there. You just have to really dig down deep and find it. So regardless of what the situation is, there's always something positive to take from it. There's always a silver lining and it's taken a very, very long time to get to that point. And whenever I was a kid and the way I grew up, I somehow it was a little easier to have that mentality. How? I don't know, but it was maybe because we weren't in the age of social media and we didn't have all the the technology and everything that we do now. So maybe it was easier. Um, But going through certain things in your life that knocks you down so hard sometimes it's hard to find that silver lining and get back up and brush yourself off and keep going. But once you do, it becomes easier and waking up in the morning, you know, it's going to be a good day. Yes. My body hurts from head to toe, but I woke up. So it's already a good day. I mean, that's, you know what? I'm going to interrupt. That reminds me. Uh, I, I, I felt like we were wrapping up, but maybe you want to say a little bit of something about your health. Uh, I know that um, you deal uh, with, uh, can, can you tell um, us about that? Yeah. And the um, organization uh, you support yes, um, and the, the research. The Deficiency Foundation, um, people that have primary immunodeficiency, Um, which I'm under that category, um, with common variable immunodeficiency. And it is, there's several different forms of immunodeficiency. Mine mine specifically, um, I am what's called IgG deficient. So the immunogamma globulins, I don't produce enough. I hardly produce any. And those are those magical little proteins in your body that fights off infection. It fights off illness. It creates antibodies to fight, you know, different illnesses. And for those who don't produce any or don't produce enough, we get basically an immune system in a bottle. So I get mine every four weeks. Um, and beautiful people who donate plasma keep doing it. It really does save lives. Whenever I started working in healthcare, I started working at a plasma center and I don't think the donors really think that it saves lives. You know, they, they just go in, they do their thing, they're done, but it does. It saves lives every day. I mean, people donating plasma, I get to stay around for my kids. I get to have a better quality of life 
and I get to write, I get to create, I get to be present with my friends and my family. And it's a beautiful thing. Um, so definitely, you know, anybody that has any kind of immune disorders, um, further research, immunedeficiencyfoundation.org is an amazing place full of resources and information. Well, I love, um, I'm, a, I'm an action person. I like to do things. And so I love, you know, where there's a problem, you know, someone that suggests something you can do about it. So continuing to donate plasma. I, yes. I love that there's an action plan, some yes. way that we can help instead of just yes, reading definitely. about it or did you, when did you find out about that? I know it's like some people who have dealt with immune uh, deficiency issues, mm -hmm. you know, lupus and other things. Sometimes they struggle with not oh, being believed. Yes. Um, maybe there's a lack of energy or something and like, you yes. know, it's just in your head. You, you know, you just, you want to get out of something or you want to give yourself an excuse not to yes. show up fully present. Yeah, it, even now. Um, oh my gosh. You all the time. That? I still face that. And um, I, I've had this my whole life, but it took a very long time before I got diagnosed. I was 27 before I was diagnosed. And it's not just with the immunodeficiency. It comes with a whole slew of autoimmune diseases as well. So I've got a whole laundry list of that on top of it. But I've got a treatment plan with my doctors and I just do what I can do. But it, it did take so many doctors, so many years. And doctors themselves, you're a hypochondriac. You just want medication. No, I don't want medication. I don't want something to mask what my symptoms are. I want to know why. You just want to feel better. Right. It's like I want to know what the yeah. reason is. What's the cause? I, I, I don't like a Band-Aid. Mm -hmm. I want to know the reason. And then what can we do to fix it? And But when I was in school, teachers, you're just wanting to get out of gym. It's like, I don't even go to gym. I play soccer. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm not trying to get out of anything. And, you know, absences, school absences, you know, like, oh, well, you're skipping. You're, you're, you just don't want to go. It's like, okay, I've maintained my GPA. I have good grades. You know, I'm sick. And I, I don't know what's going on, but I'm sick. Don't know what to tell you. It's like, I'm sorry. I can't fake 104 fever. I can't fake, you know, this, that, and the other. Um, but even now it, it's kind of hard with some people. Um, you, you never know how you're going to wake up in the morning and you don't know if you're going to wake up with a severe migraine. You don't know if you're going to wake up with so much body pain from head to toe that you can't move. You don't know if you're going to wake up hugging the toilet for the whole day. I mean, you have no idea how you're going to wake up and you could even wake up great everything is peachy keen. And within a few hours, you're just, you know, you smack a wall and you're just done and you have no energy and you know that you have to pick and choose what you do. Sometimes you have to take away from like, okay, well, I was going to go meet with friends over here to do this, this, and this, but I also have a school function that I have to go to. So I need to skip out on my friends. So that way I can be there for my kids. And then a lot of times you get that backlash, like, well, that's really crappy. You couldn't have given us a heads up or, you know, I, I don't, I think you're faking it. I think you're milking this thing. Or, I mean, just whatever the case may be, you get a lot of backlash from people and it used to bother me, but it doesn't now because I know my truth 
I know how I feel. I know how much I can give and where I need to draw the line. And I try to make it a point that I am there for everybody, that I have enough energy to spread it around and, you know, give my hundred percent. But there are some days that you can't give a hundred percent to every single person. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's okay to not be able to give a hundred percent to every single person. And you need to have that downtime. You need to have some time for yourself and to recuperate so that way you're not having to borrow your spoons for the rest of the week. There, there's this whole spoon analogy that is absolutely amazing that I definitely suggest anybody Google, you know, spoons and, you know, the spoon analogy. It, it's an amazing read. Highly recommend it. Um, and I think that it also helps people understand a little bit more with people who have autoimmune disease or immunocompromised or anything like that. It, it kind of helps shed a small bit of light onto it. How, uh, okay. So you mentioned that it was, uh, it took a while mm -hmm. to get diagnosed. Uh, yeah. you were 27. What, what was the tipping point? Like what specialist did you finally uh, come across? What testing was it that, you know, finally well, brought actually, um, I was sick as a dog. I had bronchitis, which I, you know, used to get all the time that, and it always turned into pneumonia. And I was just so incredibly sick that I knew that it was about to turn into a hospital visit and I was able to get in with my doctor but he was busy, so I saw his nurse practitioner. And his nurse practitioner, he looked me up and down, and he listened, and he kind of did a few things. And he's like, okay, I think you have this. I think you have this. He was able to diagnose me with five different things just by looking at me. And then he did test, of course, to confirm it. And then he got me to all the specialists that I needed to go to. And... I, I was dumbfounded. I'm like, okay, this has been going on my whole life and I've never been able to get anybody to listen. I've had all of these tests done before with these numbers just like this, but still nobody has listened. I've been turned away. I've been told to, you know, take an antidepressant. I've been told to, you know, uh, go to therapy. I've been told, you know, just all these crazy, horrible things that nobody should ever be told by their healthcare professional whenever they have a legitimate problem. And it took this guy like five minutes to figure it out and to get me to all the right people. He was definitely a godsend. My children still go to him. <laughs> he, he's just amazing. So it, sometimes it's a lot of trial and error and it takes a lot of people before you finally get somebody to listen. But once you do, don't look to that doctor and <laughs> keep, keep, you know, a very tight grasp on that doctor because they will always be in your corner no matter what. E, I want to thank you so much for opening up and sharing so much of your story. And uh, it has been great in Chef yes. Sandbox well, thank today. You for having thank me. you for joining us.